You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. The 602 Club proudly presents Snyder Cuts, a Zack Snyder directorial podcast, and I am just one of the hosts here on this journey, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he has been every single week and will be with me until the end of time, John Mills. Until the end of time? The end of time? Well, (laughs) the way things are going, that could be shorter than we think. So, okay, fine. I'll be here the whole time then. That's that's good for me. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you know... You're welcome. Thank you. Thank so, you so much. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, we are continuing this journey, and we have reached uh, the part of the journey where we're going to be talking about Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. So excited to dive into Zack Snyder's only animated feature-length work. And before we do that, of course, you know, thank you so much for joining us. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're in the 602 Club feed, so just make sure you're subscribed to that. You'll get the show as soon as it drops. Find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at 602 Club TFM. We, of course, we are on the TFM network there. You can find that online at trek.fm. You can go to the contact section of the website, choose 602 Club, and you can send John and I an email if you had any thoughts. Of course, you can also reach us on social media and all. And, you know, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and then there's the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference, you can find on Facebook. So, uh, John, you know, before we kind of get into the movie and all, I am really wondering because have you have you seen this film before watching it now for the show no i i actually tried years ago to watch um uh owls of gahul and i i forget why but i just wasn't in the mood and it started up and i just stopped watching i i don't even remember specifically it was a bad day or something like that and it just started up and i was like i'm just not in the mood for this and i tapped out and um so this is really my first viewing uh, although I had tried, have you seen it before this point or? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Uh, and, and it's a movie that, um, I believe that I saw this in theater. Really? And then I've, I've seen it subsequently throughout the years as well. Hmm. So it, it's one that I've been familiar with. And, you know, I, I think it was really interesting because it was, you know, Zach's first foray, as I was mentioning earlier, into animation. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think going to see it and even just kind of, bef- you know, after that, it wasn't as big a deal. But I think, honestly, once Man of Steel came out, this is something I went back and rewatched uh, and just kind of found myself enjoying more in light of seeing that. And, you know, what's fascinating is is kind of coming into this now on the journey, um, it is really interesting to see many of the things that, you know, we've come to know from Snyder be used in animation. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would I would love to just talk to him in general and, and anyone who does live action or animation because to see what the difference is in, you know, directing and how that actually works as directing an animated feature. Uh, it's funny you say that. I, I just read uh, Paul Hirsch's uh, autobiography. Uh, career autobiography, I guess you could say. Um, and he talked about working with Brad Bird on Ghost Protocol and how Brad Bird was transitioning from animation into live action. And then when they did the action scenes, Bird legitimately asked him to go frame by frame, which was disorienting for Hirsch. But it was just the way Bird was, was he had to see things one shot at a time. So I wonder, to your point, whether... Snyder made an adjustment, you know, a similar sort of adjustment, because I think, you know, also to a point that you were making, you can clearly see, because I have the advantage of coming to see this after having seen the later Zack Snyder stuff, and you can clearly see him 
putting some ideas together that show up in the Superman movies that he does. The oh, first yeah. time yeah. where the owls dives down <laughs> and does that sort of like sound barrier breaking thing. I, I immediately saw that and I was, I said, that's Superman taking off and, you know, kicking into second gear. Um, there are, before I get too much, before we get too much into the whole, you know, where do we see Snyder and, and those sorts of things, I just want to say that I feel like I cheated myself by not seeing this on the big screen for one reason. The animation is breathtaking in this film. This is some of the best animation I've ever seen in my life. It absolutely blew my mind. I could not believe what I was watching. It was entirely next level. Studios like Disney always get the praise. Pixar always gets the praise. I looked at this. I will put this up against anything I've seen from Pixar or Disney in the last 20 years. And there's plenty I've liked from Disney in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. But this is this was next level stuff. I could not believe what they did with the feathers on the owls, with the flame effects, with everything. And some of the shot compositions, like when they're the, there's one shot where they're flying and there's the orange glow of the fire over to the side. And then mm-hmm. there's the blue in the set. And I just looked at that and I, I said to myself, if I had been an animator working on that shot. I would have gone home that day and said, I had the best day at work. You'll never believe what I produced today. I I just, I cannot heap enough praise on the animation in this film. I can't believe it's not referenced more frequently. I'm really glad that you wanted to start with the art because that's one of the things that really stands out to me uh, here as well, the animation and I believe that I saw this in 3D when it came out because it was right in the middle of the 3d craze yeah and it was amazing you know uh so many of these shots you know um you know like you talked about the slow motion of of the owls you know like dive bombing or you know uh him going through the storm you know as he's Mm. riding the storm Mm -hmm. running and like that in 3d stunning you know because all of those droplets are kind of coming out of the screen and it like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that 3D was made for. You mm-hmm. know, animation, honestly, is the best 3D experience I've ever had. I mean, I guess that's what made, you know, Avatar so interesting to watch because all of it was in 3D, right? It was it was made in a computer. And so this the same way has that impact, you know, and I, I mean, I always love to like Pixar movies and stuff in 3D again because it's all natively in 3D. And yeah, absolutely. This is stunning. And and coming back to it you know having not seen it in a few years i was really blown away at just how breathtaking like you were talking about the shot composition but just the choice in color palette like mm-hmm. they chose to saturate this movie beautifully like yep. it is it is saturated in a way that makes you want to to be in that place because all of the landscapes look stunning especially the ones you know, that we're supposed to be drawn to, like the original village of the owls, Mm -hmm. you know, at the beginning, or, you know, when we get to the, the guardians of Gahul, you know, when we get to those owls of Gahul and their, and their massive tree in the middle of the ocean, um, the, the shots right before they, um, start flying over the ocean, you know, in those cliffs, you know, and, and, and the, uh, the step work that they did with the rocks and everything. I mean, like it's, it's so full of detail. It's so full of life and, and the characters are the same way. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie was released over 10 years ago and it still looks as good animation wise as a lot of the things just coming out now. I put it up against anything. I, I'm dead serious. I would I would put this animation up against anything, um, and I, I I think also the, the you know you mentioned essentially the performances. This continues, I think, Snyder's track record here of always getting incredible performances out of people, and he proves that it's this it it, it works for him in voice acting direction as well with with the actors here and the actresses because. These these voice performances are 
are amazing. Like they, they bring, like it would be one thing to sit there and watch this and say, Oh, that's a great movie. But I actually believed these characters existed, uh, because of that, that art and because of the, the vocal talent, but doubling back on the art for a second, do you think it's possible because Warner brothers released this with the very rich, and fantastical and sort of pseudo magical nature of it. Do you think that this suffered from the fact that Warner brothers released it arguably too close to the Harry Potter heat that, you know, everybody enjoyed with those movies. Do you think that this is a movie that didn't get a fair shake because there are elements of this that might trigger some people to think of Harry Potter and just say, ah, it's Harry Potter for owls or something like that. You know, I, I think that's a really interesting question, and and one of the things that you know, this is a book series. You know, mm-hmm. this is a middle grade book series, and it has many books in it. Uh, I put it away many times when I was working at Barnes and Noble. Uh, so you know, it, it, that their goal was to make a a slew of animated features, and you know, I'm not really sure quite why this didn't catch on. Honestly, um, I, I think. One of the things about this is that it's it does, you know, take itself a little more seriously than mm-hmm. many of the animated features that we have gotten. And I think at that point in 2010, this is before I think many of the animated features are really starting to take themselves more seriously, like really serious. You know, like we're mm-hmm. we're we're making um, movies that are, are more artistic and, and have more thought process of, of thematic elements and all those kind of things to them. And yeah, I mean, this is, this is a slightly more adult film than just your average film, even though it's based on a kid's series. And part of that, you know, I think has to do with the fact that there's so much thematic material here. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really fascinating. But before we get into that, just to answer your question, I don't. I'm not sure if that's the case. I just don't know. You know, we kind of talked about the other week. You know, when is Zach just ahead of the curve? Mm. You know, he's always making films that people just aren't quite ready for. Uh, we talked about that with Watchmen. You know that 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 it just came at a time when people are not really ready for it. Um, I think maybe that the Owls of Gahul might suffer from that. People just might weren't ready for something to be slightly more serious in an animated feature to where it's like, you know, like this this movie is so good in the sense that it never, it kids could watch this film, right? You know, you've got kids and kids could watch this movie. But it's also, I don't think it's ever playing down to them. You know, it, it's it's never dumbing down any of the thematic material or anything that's happening in the film. And that, I think, is a very important point, too, because thematically, I, I agree with you. There are some really important lessons. There are a lot of things. And while I will not label this movie as impactful as Star Wars or anything like that, what you hit on right there is is the same reason that I think Star Wars had such staying power is because it does. I knew plenty of people who regarded Star Wars as a quote unquote kids movie, but the reason it endured is because it didn't, like you said, talk down to the audience. You might've been a 12 year old kid or a five year old kid that saw Star Wars for the first time or a three year old kid or, or whatever. It didn't dumb it down for you. It, you either kept up or didn't and you either picked up on it or you didn't. And it, but it was done in an accessible way. You could just come at this and watch this as a fun animated adventure movie about talking owls, and it works fine. But getting to those deeper sorts of of meanings, uh, I, I I'm really struck by the fact because the the works that we're coming up on, I know some of the stuff that Snyder is going to start dealing with in terms of theme and and story elements, and to see it so early in a lot of his stuff, there's almost as if there's a pivot point here. Because if you look at, I would argue, if you look at his work on Dawn of the Dead and 300 and Watchmen, a lot of that is about a world in the absence of God or faith in a higher power. 
And Legend of the Guardians brings in this idea of faith and belief that is very key to this story. And that really jumped out at me because I'm watching it. And I said, you know, from this point forward, this really gets to be a big thing for him to include in his films. I, I, I would love to talk to him and ask, is there something that changed for him personally that made him suddenly, not suddenly, but made him more interested in approaching it from that angle instead of the more cynical angle? Yeah, no, I, I, and, and I would say too, one of the keys to that, and I think I love that you pulled that out because one of the keys to the way that especially he's going to go uh, in, in his, his Superman films specifically is the fact that we're going to deal with this question with a really realistic bent to it. We're mm-hmm. going to look at it through the prism of, of, even even in something as fanciful and and legendary as Legend of the Guardians, we're going to kind of play it out uh, with a more realistic bent. Mm-hmm. Um, and in here, I think one of the things that's so fascinating is is that we dive into this idea, like you were talking about, of a higher power, faith, belief in something. And one of the things that I really saw was that you know this movie. It's really talking about the importance of mythology and stories and even the idea of basically religion because Mm -hmm. they are the things that help shape our foundation of life and they help us understand how we should live. Right. Um, and, 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 and what's important in life, what's not important in life, what to reject in life, what to accept in life. And it gives us something for which, um, we can then compare all the other message the messages that come at us and i was i was just fascinated by this because you know you have the two brothers and one brother accepts this and the other brother doesn't and when that you know second brother uh finds himself in a place claude finds himself in a place where they're willing to give him all of this power, treat him like he's special in many ways because he's rejected the idea of that any of these stories are true, that any of these stories have any meaning for his life uh, because he has no foundational structure for his life. He buys what they're selling hook, line, and sinker because mm-hmm. it makes him feel good. And yep. it absolutely reminded me of C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man, where uh you know he he talks about this idea at the very beginning of the book of uh this um children's prep book you know uh and he he even says he says a boy who thinks he's doing english prep it has no notion that ethics theology politics are all at stake and this idea of that like if we and and he calls it turning uh people into men without chests like they they're hollow inside and therefore Anything could be filled inside. And that's exactly what we see in this movie, right? Claude mm-hmm. has nothing inside. He has no core beliefs. He has no foundational structure to which the mythology of the Owls of Cahool, in a religious way, give his brother a foundation to reject this type of teaching. And I just was like, like you, it's just like, Zach is already dealing with these types of questions. Well, there's also, I think, something that's interesting is I I also see this as a pivot point because you can see stuff that he's done before this pour into it and then stuff that he's going to go to start manifesting itself. But in terms of the importance of stories and mythology to help shape and form us, there's an echo of 300 about this. Especially with the way that it ends, where everybody's on the edge of their seats. What happens next? What's going on? And you find out this whole story has been essentially a call to arms, to righteous duty, to be a productive, positive member of society and make the world a better place. And not not a selfish place where, you, where to your point, Claude, he's looking only for personal fulfillment. Whereas the higher calling that the whole story speaks to is 
that idea of finding your place within the the things that need must be done in the context of a a greater society and i just i i loved like it, it was a moment of joy almost when it suddenly cut to those outlets that had the little leaf helmets on mm-hmm. who were on the edge of their seats coming at the camera oh what's what happened next? Like, I just thought that was so beautiful. But the first thing I thought of was 300 and all of the troops at the end who've right. been told yeah. this sustaining yep. story to give them a reason and a purpose to go out and fight the good fight. Well, and, and I think one of the beauties of this is that, you know, when you have no foundational morality, when you have basically you are a hollow person. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you and And when I say that, like. I believe that, you know, religion and mythology and stories can allow a person to be filled in a way with the types of things to which we can therefore then reject messages and meanings and morals that come at us that that don't align with those. And, you know, when you don't have any type of morality whatsoever, you know, you can peddle any ideology. Mm-hmm. especially the ideology of what you were talking about selfishness like because what is the ideology that they're they're giving which is 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 such a i mean it's very fascist right it's it's yeah. that idea of we are the higher beings we are the ones that deserve to rule you know um and everybody else is a secondary or a tertiary character to us um, you know, they call themselves the pure ones, you know, um, who doesn't want to be called a pure one, right? Who doesn't want to be a part of that and be and immediately be brought into being special? I mean, it's like Harry Potter and, you know, being uh, a pure blood. It's the same thing. Well, but but the thing is, the, the twist that I like that he has in here, which I'm sure is also from the books, but the, the twist that's in here that I like is you find out that the pure bloods don't have anything to do with. Uh, actual quote unquote pure blood. There's no racial purity angle to these owls. It's ideological purity. It's it's a falling in line with things because uh, the w- you know when the the wizened old owl um, is training our heroes and says no, basically I agreed to work for them. I'm not I'm not one of them, but I'm one of them by default because I agreed to work with them so they would spare my family because they liked the fight that I had in me. So you find out at that point, and then of course with Claude being brought in, you find out that it's about ideological purity, which is an even more poisonous type of purity than than just about any other type that you're going to have out there. It, that, that base intolerance of any thought that deviates from the, you know, the d- demanded belief set. It's it's the reason witches were burned at the stake. It's the reason why heretics were stoned. It's the reason why blasphemers were thrown into the leper. You know, like all of that stuff that happened. All of those bad things. And it's not just a religious thing, though. Everybody, anybody that sits there throughout history, you can study that it's always the toxic thing. And that the the good thing is, you know, when they get to Gahul, we all have a part to play. You'll find out which part you have to play. What, what's your skill? What's your, what, what are you drawn to? What can you do? And that's where you're going to find your calling. It's not what we tell you to do. It's, it's what you can do. Right. Well, and what I, I would say, it, it gets really religious in the sense that it's not only about that, but it's every owl has been given a gift. And so we're mm. looking to find what is your gift and how can you become the best version of yourself by bringing that gift out for the betterment of everyone else. Right. 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 And I, and I can say the, the probably the, the greatest compliment I can pay the film is the fact that I now want to go and pick up these books. Yeah. Because right. Yeah. I, I was thinking that same thing <laughs> because, because if I can get a movie like this and it's unfortunate, I think that there aren't sequels. This is a series I would have liked to see developed. And I, I imagine it had to yeah. do with cost and return that the animation on this must have been a fortune. And it 
it wasn't uh, when I looked on when I looked on the I don't remember the exact figures. It wasn't a tremendous box office success, obviously. No, unfortunately not. And that obviously is what killed it. But I just that in and of itself also triggers a sort of interesting thing that I've noted about Snyder's career is a lot of directors are saddled with what was your last box office take. But Snyder seems to avoid that a lot. Granted, I'm sure he would have wanted to continue doing, at least producing, um, Legend of the Guardians movies. I'm sure. But it doesn't stop him. He keeps moving. And he keeps moving on to interesting pictures. And I think as we go on this journey, as I've stated previously, all the way back to the first episode, I'm not coming at this as a Snyder fan or devotee. I'm coming at this as somebody who's just observing and learning as I go. And I've, I'm gaining a lot of respect as I, I review or view these films for the first time, specifically because I'm seeing somebody who's been able to march through and avoid what has killed so many other directorial careers. And so I'm starting to look for what is it about Zack Snyder that makes people continue to give him work and want to work with him, even though he's not churning out billion-dollar popcorn blockbusters. And I think that's really interesting because one of the thematic elements that really struck me, and, and, and it was one that obviously we see... In, the, in his Superman film specifically, was this idea of what does it mean to be a hero? Mm-hmm. And I was really struck by, obviously, you know, Soren meeting his hero and his hero not being what he thought he would be, you know? Um, and the And the beauty of that was that when his hero says... Being a hero just means doing what's right over and over and over again, no matter the cost. Right. And I was, and I thought to myself, that's so beautiful because it, it, what an incredible message for our world. Being a hero just is, you just do what's right, no matter what the cost. And you keep doing it, even if it costs you everything. And, and and that is exactly the kind of sentiment that we are going to see um, all the way. I mean, especially once we get to, to BVS, you know, right? You just keep doing whatever it costs, no matter the cost, you know. Um, and I, it's, it's, you know, the personal cost, the emotional cost, the, the mental and physical cost, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, all of them. And, and, and we see that here. Um, you know, with with these characters um, being willing to do that, and it and it, it comes down to like, what are you willing to die for? Are you willing to die for this selfish desire? Or are you willing to die for um, the good of others? You know, mm-hmm. and to sacrifice yourself and and to be selfless, and you know, all that's very Star Wars ish. But I mean, it's it's the classic mythology, right? That we both, you know, the hero of a thousand faces, and so. Mm-hmm. All of that just, I mean, is it, to see that here and this be the movie that was right after Watchmen, right? Right. Uh, it's so fascinating because, you know, Watchmen is the deconstruction of heroes um, or quote unquote heroes. And this is, is almost the antithesis to that in the sense that it just shows that true heroes are people who do what's right over and over again without necessarily being asked to be thanked, you know? Almost like this was a palate cleanser. He needed to get it out of his yeah, head. Yeah. You know, like, and, and which, you know, there are plenty of directors that do that where, where they need to, they need to shift gears. They're, they're so, you know, in deep with everything because, you know, 300 is also a film that deconstructs the hero. And so to go from 300 to Watchmen, I could easily see somebody saying, you know, I need, so, I need something a little, a little more pure of heart here <laughs> because there's, there's even a, um, a Tolkien aspect to this. In the fact that it's the, you know, the the great villains are using technology to overcome the virtuous heroes. 
And so you see how technology can be turned. You know, it, it all depends on who's using it um, to determine whether it's a, a positive or a negative. You know, technology is neutral, but whoever uses it, and then once they use it, things don't ever aren't ever quite the same. But there's um, the thing is, we're, we're sitting here and we're heaping tons of praise, praise that this film deserves. But I like the whole conversation. I'm very curious. What missteps do you see here? What choices do you see here that maybe weren't the best uh, for the sake of the film? And it's not a knock on Snyder or anybody else that worked on it. But, what, you know, if somebody were to say, you know what, give me one or two things you would change about uh, Legend of the Guardians, what would it be? That is a hard question because so much of the movie I'm I'm really drawn to, especially rewatching it. And it had been a while since I'd been back to it. And I, you know, I remember liking it, but you know, it, it you know, you, I, I've, in many ways, I kind of come, came to it pretty fresh because I had been a, quite a while since I'd seen it. And I'm hard pressed, honestly, and, and, and not just because I, you know, like Snyder or any of those things, but it, it's hard to find anything in the film that I'm really, that really sticks in my craw where I'm like, ah, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I would love to throw, I got to throw that question back at you because I, right now I'm kind of drawing a blank of, as to anything that would, I would just wholesale be like, no, that just doesn't work enough for me. I would say that um, there are a couple of things. One, I think it, it could have stood to have a, a, another minute or two for a younger audience to flesh out what's going on. Oh, I, okay. I think that for a younger okay. audience, like it, it can get a little, yep. oh, it gets a little thick at points. And, um, it's not a bad thing to require attention, but especially if you're making something that's intended to appeal to a younger audience, I think you need to be a lot because to go back to the fact that, you know, we were talking about star Wars, star Wars is so like star Wars. You could be in a drunken stupor after a five day bender, be dropped down in front of it for, for the first time you got everything, you know, what's going on. And so I think that especially if you're, you're targeting an audience like that, I think there's an obligation to keep it just crystal clear every all of the intricacies i'm not saying the movie's confusing i'm just saying it it, it could have stood a little more breathing room another couple of minutes and i understand with animation like yeah. this that probably meant another 300 million dollars but you know so maybe that's why maybe that's why they didn't want to uh, add another minute or two but i can say that i'm not nuts about the i think it's death cab for cutie does the song I like the song. Owl City. Yeah, I like the song. It's Owl City. So. Oh, it's Owl City that did it? Sorry. Yeah. It sounded like Death I My apologies. I It got locked no, in fine. my head. Yeah. It's that type of sound. Um, I like the song. I like it over the end credits. When it pops in over the montage, it was a little discordant with everything. The montage was yeah, beautiful. I can see that. Yeah. But that, that popped out at me where I was, I was kind of... Oh, okay. That wasn't the best choice. But in a way, it's funny because like I was talking about with Watchmen, it's almost like, again, his music director past came back to him and he said, I'm going to make a little music video in the middle here. And it's like, it's a great little music video. I would have loved to see that montage set to that song and released as like promotional material. But just here, because the score is this big grand sweeping thing and we're dealing with myths and legends and all that stuff. And then we have a pop song right there. It's kind of like, wow, what happened? Yeah, I can, I could totally agree with both of those points. Now that you mentioned them, I, I think, you know, I, I don't feel like it would have hurt the film to have a few more minutes just to be allow allow some of those expositional scenes to breathe. Um, in many ways, I do feel like, um, this this has a slightly more adult sensibility in the way it tells its story. Uh, it it doesn't quite have as many um, slower moments, you know. Uh, and and yeah, there are some moments where you're just being uh, poured into uh, with exposition that really makes sense and it's great. I mean, even I would think I'm thinking of Soren when he's with his 
you know, he's in the library and he's learning all about his hero and that his hero wrote, you know, these stories and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on in that scene. And so uh, just kind of like if you maybe stretch it out, even 30 seconds or so can can make a huge difference. I would love to find out if that owl was modeled on uh, Cervantes um, because it, it, who wrote Don Quixote because, you know, everybody knows Don Quixote is one of the great works of of Western literature that I've never read. Sorry. and But it was written by Cervantes after he had fought in war and actually got injured so badly that he couldn't use one of his arms anymore. And so he was a war veteran that wrote a giant tome about the futility of war. And that character very much is he's a great hero who's now a retired writer. Basically he's a writer and his lesson to, uh, you know, to the characters is no, no war isn't good. No, that that's something you do if you have to, but uh, trust me, this is not something you want to go out and do. Look at what happened to me. And that was Cervantes like his actual life story right there. Well, and I like that you bring that up because it reminds me of one of the things that, you, you you have thematically in this movie, which is the fact that it deals with this idea of that war is not glamorous, but sometimes it is necessary to protect and fight for the things that we believe in, which goes back to like 300, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that movie is more that war is kind of glamorous and like you were talking about, it's an anti-anti-war movie and those kind of things. Uh, we, we see the misuse of force in Watchmen here. Uh, we talked about last week and now, you know, in this movie, it is when is the correct time to use force? When is the correct mm. time to go to war? Uh, and why hmm. do we do that? You know, I think it's um, it's really well done because that's an important question. And I mean, when you think about the timetable, this movie comes out in 2010, you know, I We've yeah. been in a couple wars at that point, and so people have yeah. been asking those questions at all and not getting into the litigation of either of those things. But this here, as a film, again, shows us a much like... I would, I would bring it back to Star Wars, right? There is a time to take up arms. Mm-hmm. You know, very much like the original Star Wars. Like, the, that the evil is too evil and it must be fought you know, it's the whole thing of it, you know, uh, evil wins when good men do nothing, you know? Right. And, and, and so that's the lesson here, but it's not something that should be glamorized, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, which again, when, when you think about 300 and the way people can quote unquote take that film and this, it seems like two opposing messages, but really it's very cohesive. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about the fact that uh, we've had three movies in a row from him pondering war like that. I, I hadn't like I, I picked up on the the three hundred thing, but I didn't really think of it specifically in the context of war and the message about when to go to war. And then Watchmen, you're right, has that whole thing of when you have the super weapon, you become the bully, sort of thing. And that is, that's a really good point. I mean, in a sense, you could say that Snyder is exercising the, the true cathartic thing sitting in everybody's head at the time, you know, because our, our art and entertainment is always going to be a reflection of the society that produces it. At least it should be. Artists should always be free to produce whatever they want to, even if it, pushes against what people are comfortable with. And it's interesting because again, you know, it just fascinates me as we go on this journey. It's so obvious and I've never, I've never believed otherwise, but legend of the guardians is another piece where I look at it and I see a really thoughtful and intentional filmmaker who doesn't get, the respect that I think he deserves, whether you love his movies, whether you hate his movies, there's a lot of intent. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of craft, 
there's a lot of control. There's a lot of discipline. There's a lot of visual, um, you know, uh, 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 visual talent, uh, struggling for the word there or whatever, but like there's, there's so much at play here and I just, it, it will always fascinate me why he doesn't seem to get the respect that I think would be due somebody who displays this because I think something that's incredible is Brad Bird has created some of the most iconic animated films of all time. Okay. The Iron Giant, which is a a cultural touchstone to this day. You have, um, you know, The Incredibles. Uh, You have these uh, Ratatouille. You have these films that you look at them and you say, oh my gosh, what incredible art here. And then he leaps to live action. But I couldn't look at that and say, oh, that's a Brad Bird movie. I look at it and I say, oh, that's a great action movie. But there's nothing about it where I'm like, oh, okay, I can clearly see. Maybe I just hadn't looked close enough. But visually, everything from color palette to shot selection to use of slow motion, obviously, um, to a couple of different elements... I've never seen an, a, a director so with such an identity that even if his name wasn't on this movie, I would watch this movie and say, this looks like a Zack Snyder movie, you know, like there's zero question who's behind the wheel on this thing. Yeah, I it was interesting because I was thinking, uh, of you know, that's where we should go is talking about, you know, the snack, the Zack Snyder in this and it is so evident, you know, from from every part. But I, and and I like that you started with the idea that Zach is this very thoughtful, well reasoned guy who is creating stories from a place of of, and I think you can see in these last few films, really. Um, I would say with 300 Watchmen in this, where it's really starting with uh, what what is the theme of this? What are the themes in this? And how do we bring them out? And then everything else works to build around that. And so you get this beautiful place where all of the visuals, I think, just really help accentuate that. I You know, I think specifically of, of again, that spot where, you know, he's, Soren's being taught to fly through the storm because his mm-hmm. his mentor realizes that this guy has what it takes basically to be one of our elite guardians. And I need to see if he can really trust himself and his instincts, which are built into him, if he can do it. And you just have that moment and, you know, him soaring through the storm, soaring through the storm, Soren is soaring through the storm. Uh, and... It's in slow motion in the water droplets and just the way his wings are are interacting with those water droplets and there's just this beautiful moment where you can you can feel with the character that he is one with everything in that moment. You know, he's one with the force. <laughs> and it's such a great moment because it's it's everything about what makes Zack Snyder as a filmmaker coming together to bring that to life. You know, like that's a perfect picture of the uh, the quintessential Zack Snyder we keep kind of cu- talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really cool that, you know, he can translate that from his live action work into his animated work in a way that you would absolutely know that this is him uh, because of his work. And I would say at the same time, it's a benefit to the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that he uses it here with all the fight scenes that he does, his action choreography in the animation is the same as it is in his live action, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it it might be, uh, you know, you you kind of had a few little things in, in watching, but I feel like it's gotten even better here with animation, which is a little bit easier because you can control everything. Right. Um, but yeah, I it this whole movie, it's like. If you want to see the Zack Snyder of it, it's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely and completely. And, you know, that that is not to take... This, this is what's interesting, right? Is when you look at the way the animation 
is produced, when you look at uh, the art direction, when you look at all of those things, when you hear the score, when you hear just, I mean, just an absolutely superb voice cast. This is phenomenal voice acting in this film. A director is the one steering the ship. And so it doesn't take anything away from all of these talented people that put this together to say it went the way that it did because the person at the helm knew which way to steer the ship and how all of those different sorts of things. And I just, you know, it's, it's silly because I did not, I legitimately did not expect to respond as positively as I did to this. I viewed this because I, you know, it was one I jumped past and everything like that. I said this, uh, you know, this is just going to be, this is like his throw. This is what a year after Watchmen that this comes out. I was like, okay, this is his throwaway. You know, he, he did a thing. He fulfilled a contract and that was how he got his next movie racked up or whatever. You know, he, he traded, I'll do this one. If you let me do that one sort of thing, because well, that happens with director uh, stuff all the time. But no, like I look at this and this is, this looks, you know, he obviously cared as much as he did about this as he did about Watchmen, uh, the director's cut, <laughs> um, and 300 and everything. I, you know, he, I, I don't see anybody who half-assed it here. I see somebody who showed up and said, uh, this is going to be a Zack Snyder movie. You know, they always say, they always say uh, it's a Spike Lee joint, but, you know, I feel like that applies to Zack Snyder, you know, <laughs> like this is, this is a Zack Snyder mm-hmm. joint, you know, like this is, you know, because all of his films have his stamp on it, yeah. you know, uh, and so I, I, I love the fact that, you know, I, I didn't know what you thought. We don't ever really talk about our opinions before we come into this show, um, you know, and and kind of share them together, Uh, even though some of the future films and some of the past films I've kind of known some of your opinions on. Um, But, you know, you've been surprising me, honestly, most of this podcast so far, because you have found yourself responding more positively, uh, which has been great. You know, I, I think it's a testament to the fact that, you know, Zach has, has done something that, uh, you know, you didn't expect. And it's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting journey we're on anyway, when you do a film, a, a film, uh, podcast like this and you watch things in chronological order, it does allow you to be able to appreciate a filmmaker like this because you can truly see the way in which they are growing and maturing and who they really are, as an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, um, it is interesting because I can, I, this is the thing is it's going to be easy to overstate because this isn't a question of, you know, victory or loss or proving anybody right or anything like that. What this is, is just coming at things with a a fresh set of eyes and, Snyder surprising me, as it were, with a movie like this or with the director's cut of Watchmen, which I responded much more positively to than the theatrical cut. The fact that this is in the context that we're going through this on a march towards a film that that plenty of people said didn't exist, that there was no such Snyder cut, but we know is what he wanted to do and what he was building to. I think it'll it just puts it in that much more of an interesting progression because I know that as I see these things that are his trademark I'm knowing what to look for when I analyze the Snyder cut of Justice League to see what it was that was taken out of it and what was manipulated and what was truly him that was in there. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting, you know, obviously as we get to Sucker Punch, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and then finally to his, um, you know, cut of Justice League, that you you 
can see, and I think this gives us a better appreciation, even myself, you know, going through this process, you know, I'm, I'm really seeing just how dedicated he is as a filmmaker to his, his, uh, his, his craft, you know, like from thematic element to, um, you know, look to feel to character, which we've you know, you've been pointing out every time just the performance he's getting, you know, how characters are so important to him. Uh, he's obviously doing a lot of research with the characters to make them come to life, especially if they're based on something that, you know, exists before like 300 or Watchmen. And so uh, I think that's just going to be really interesting as, as we move into those because, um, you know, like you said, whether you really like every single choice that he makes or anything you I, I i've come to respect him more for the the ability to cr- to hone his craft in a way in which even if i don't like every single choice he's made i understand why he's making it you know in a way better now mm-hmm. just because i understand him as a filmmaker more so all that said, I think it's. I'm really interested to see then where you fell down with your ratings here for Legends of the Guardians. Well, I can uh, tell you that I am trying to temper my enthusiasm, and I know that that's going to sound weird, but I can tell you that I responded very positively to this overall. But I also know that there's uh, an emotional aspect to it that I immediately responded to, um, which I think is funny in and of itself because of certain comments that have been made about Snyder's uh, ability to connect emotionally. Um, but he hit me right in the feels. Much early like on. Nolan, honestly, right? right? I True. Mean, that's a, that's something that people will knock Nolan for. So. True. Um, so I don't want to be, overly effusive so there's going to be a little asterisk with this right out of the gate i'm giving this four stars and you might say well you know listen to all the praise that you gave it but that that weird moment with the song the need for another couple of minutes it's true it's real but that little asterisk is because i already know i'm going to come back and watch this at some point so this is a four with like a an upward trend arrow next to it I could see watching this again and bumping it up. So, you know, four with an upward arrow. Where did you land with it? You know, it's funny you say that because that's what happened to me. You know, I've seen this before and it trended up um, it, and it landed at a four and a half. Fair. Because it's not, it's not, I, I, w- I couldn't call it like in Zack Snyder's pantheon, like a perfect film. Um, but I, I responded so positively and part of that again was just, you know, my love for thematic parts oh, yeah. of films sure. and how well, and, and, and I think this movie does the thematic work so well because it feels so organic to the movie. Like every part of it doesn't, and none of it felt forced to me, you know, which sometimes can with a film where I can still enjoy the thematic elements, but I'm like, oh, I wish you would have just, you know. Uh, this movie does such a great job, I think, of showing and telling, which is really important. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is a movie that had moved up for me. I think um, I maybe had it at maybe three and a half or four. Can't remember what it was on Letterboxd when I went to rate it, but I went with four and a half just because not only did I enjoy the visual elements, it's visually stunning as an animated yes. feature, which is mm-hmm. exactly what you want. And again, I found myself thinking, man, I'm gonna, I'm actually going to be popping this in more often because it's not a super long film, you know, which is great. It's like an hour and a half or whatever. Um, and that's great for when I just kind of want to watch, maybe I want to watch a Zack Snyder movie, but I don't have three hours, you know, so, or four, uh, <laughs> or four. Yeah. Uh, so, now we get to the part we where we'd rank them. Um, so what do you think the rankings would be? Well, uh, right now the ranking 300 is still at the top. Uh, and it's tough because I really did like that uh, extended cut the of, uh, of Watchmen. Um, Legend of the Guardians is really strong. 
I'm actually going to give the edge to Legend of the Guardians because I'm pretty happy and confident with my four for Watchmen, whereas this has the four with the up arrow. And so I think that's that's where I, I end up with that. And then uh, Dawn of the Dead at a respectable three and a half uh, down at the bottom there. So uh, 300, Owls of Gahul, Watchmen, and uh, Dawn of the Dead. We're pretty similar. I, I'd still say 300. You know, uh, right now that's the five-star film. Uh, you know, Watchmen's right there, of course, for me. So next is Watchmen. And then it is, you know, Legend of the Guardians, um, which, again, you know, has right now on Letterboxd the exact same rating as Watchmen. Uh, so that's pretty great. Uh, and then Dawn of the Dead, which, you know, for me was the big surprise. And we had the same rating with three and a half. So, you know, we're right there in the sense that, you know, <laughs> we're, we're at that place where our it feels like depending on our mood, you know, uh, our ratings could maybe change in the middle there. But right. It, it's going to be hard. I, I'm lying. It's not going to be hard for 300 to be eclipsed for me. But um, it, it's. Yeah, it's going to be tough for It's going to be hard because that middle is going to get really interesting once we get to, you know, of course, <laughs> oh, Man of Steel and, and, yeah. and BVS. So. I, just, and just, Sucker Punch, which I haven't seen the extended cut. I've only seen the theatrical cut. Uh, so I don't know what difference that might make for that film for me. So I can't wait. I've seen neither cut. And I know Sucker Punch by reputation. And it's you not mean a, the Sunny Bunch reputation? That's the only good reputation <laughs> point that I've ever heard having to do with Sucker Punch. And I have no idea whether it, he's just doing a bit. Um, you know, I, I just, okay, so, total aside, I was listening to their podcast the other day, uh, The Sub Beacon, yeah. and uh, he's like, this is not a bit. People think it's a bit. It's not. He's like, I have the Mondo poster. I went and bought it specifically because I love this movie. It, that's not a bit. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear it because it's not a bit for me to have my Star Trek V poster up on the wall. So, hey, I've th- got mine right that you gave me right next to you, my desk. You, so, can, you, know. al- you can always wind up. You know, something's always going to resonate. You never know what's going to hit. I'm super fascinated, though, because it's been much smoother sailing through this part of his career than I expected so far. And I think Sucker Punch, I keep waiting for it. I keep waiting for that rough part of the sea when we are going to not see eye to eye. And well, that's uh, okay because he's winning you over. So by the time we get to Man of Steel and BVS, you're going to find yourself ameliorated and just as, as happy as a clam, my friend. I just, I just want to put it out there for everybody just to prepare you guys again. I'm not coming at this from the standpoint of a devoted Zack Snyder fan. So, you know, there, there are going to be some. Some moments of, of, you know, Matt and me not seeing eye to eye. But I, but as is our trademark, double, underlined, bold, italic face, we will always be respectful about our disagreements. There will never be any of that catty internet nonsense that I mean, that unless happens. we're talking about Rogue One, and then that's a different podcast. So, Well, yeah, that is a different podcast. Speaking of different podcasts, <laughs> Matt... <laughs> That podcast is the one we do about Star Wars called Aggressive Negotiations over on the Nerd Party. That's where you can hear me and Matt on a regular basis. I'm also on a podcast called House Lights, looking at the work of different directors uh, over on the Nerd Party. And you can look for Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Look for me over on Letterboxd or Goodreads or Vero. Those are the three places I now prefer to be. Uh, But Matt, where can people find you out there in the great internet yonder? Yeah, I mean, you could find me uh, on social media under Matt Rushing Zero Two. I'm like, uh, you know, on Vero and Twitter, all those places. So just just search that name, you'll find me. Of course, you can find me uh, here on the network on the main Six Hundred Two Club feed, where we're talking about all of the fandoms we love. John, you were just there recently uh, talking about the Karate Kid, and of course, you know uh, we are going to be continuing the Rambo series, and we've got some Star Wars stuff coming up, and of course, uh, we're going to be diving into the Batman films that we've not covered, starting with Batman Sixty Six. Yeah. I, I hear some people out there on the internet excited about that. Bat um, And Yeah, that's right. Um, and then, of course, you could find me oh, here as well doing 
Larry checks in the orb. Larry checks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and the orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. On the Nerd Party Network, I'm not only doing aggressive negotiations with you, but I also do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time, and we are legitimately almost done with the series, so it's pretty exciting. But, as always, thank you so much for joining us. This is Snyder Cuts. Snyder Cuts.